Why do you look for the living among the dead? Christ is risen, amen? Amen. I don't know what may have brought you in this morning, um, whether you are filled this morning with that joy, that reality that Christ is not a dead Savior, He is a risen Savior. Uh, Maybe you come in this morning and your heart or your head is is filled with questions or, or maybe even doubts. Uh, Maybe you have walked through hurts that cause you to question some of the realities of Scripture, but I want to invite you back to the Scripture this morning, back to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to experience and remember His grace and His mercy most of all poured out in Jesus' death and three days later His resurrection from the dead. Um, We are going to look to the Gospel of Luke this morning. If you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to begin opening it up towards almost the very end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. And what we will see is just a snippet of what is truly the greatest story ever told, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And it is not just his story, but rather it is a story that he has invited us to be a part of, to receive the blessings of his work, his effort, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, conquering sin, Satan, and death, that he has invited each one of us to be a part of that same story. Uh, This morning, in in honor of God's word, and as we remember the realities of the gospel and the realities of the resurrection, I want to invite everyone this morning to stand as we read God's word. So if you will, stand as we read God's holy and inerrant word. And even as we stand, we remind that because of what Christ has done, we can stand with him in life. We can stand with him in forgiveness, and we can stand with him in victory. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Join me as I pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. Father, we thank you that in it is contained life and hope. Lord, life for those among us who are, who are dead in spirit. Father, hope for those among us who are hopeless. And Lord, would you fill us anew with the joy, the reality that Jesus is alive and that he has made a way for us to be alive as well. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Three ways this morning as we walk through this first part of Luke chapter 24 
that we can join in the true story of Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. The first that we see is in really verses one through four of our text this morning, and that is this, perplexed by the empty tomb. The Bible here uses the word to describe these women as perplexed by the empty tomb. Can you in any way identify with Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who felt, uh, who were shocked by what they saw this resurrection Sunday morning? These are women who had seen Jesus do miracles. They had heard Jesus' teaching. Pardon me for interrupting. I see some folks are coming in last minute. I want to make sure the back door is not locked. Than can you go back there and make sure that they can get in? Appreciate that. These women had seen Jesus do miracles. In particular, uh, Mary Magdalene had, had seven demons within her, we are told, in another place in Scripture, and, and Jesus had freed her from that. They had all heard Jesus promise to die and to rise, and yet they felt like all hope was gone here in this moment. They all witnessed Jesus die three days earlier on a bloody cross. Uh, They all witnessed the Romans take a spear and shove it deep into his chest just to verify that he was indeed dead. They came to Jesus' body to anoint his body with spices, we are told, to cover up the stench of death. Uh, These women did not come that morning looking for a resurrection. These women came that morning looking for closure. If you went to visit a cemetery, even now, you took flowers with you to go and remember someone, you would not expect to find the empty tomb. You would not expect to find an empty grave, would you? And if you did and you saw that it was empty, your immediate thought would not be, oh, he or she must have risen from the dead. These ladies were not expecting what they found. A stone rolled away, a tomb that was empty and the body of Jesus gone. And the Bible says that initially that they were perplexed. And like Peter, at the end of our passage, you may marvel at the resurrection and think, well, this sounds too good to be true. Well, yes, it is that good, but yes, also it is true. And maybe you've heard the conspiracy theories regarding Jesus' resurrection, or maybe you just had a bad experience at church in the past. Maybe you've met a Christian who is a hypocrite. By the way, we all are, one degree or another, and it is by God's grace that we follow him and forgive one another. Maybe you've been hurt, or you are grieving, or you are caught in serious sin, and you know it's sin, but you cannot seem to to break free of it. You've tried a lot of things, and nothing seems to make you happy. Or maybe you would just say this morning, I don't believe in God. Maybe you're a child, maybe you're a kid, and your parents have lovingly taught you the truth of the gospel. They've taught you about who Jesus is, how he died, and how he rose. But you know, even as a child, that it is the time now for you to make that personal, to say, I want Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Uh, Being a part of a Christian family does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car, right? That is the reality that we ought to consider here. Then again, maybe you do believe, but you're not sure what difference the the death and the resurrection of Jesus should make in your personal life. The reality that Jesus walked out of the grave doesn't seem to impact your daily life. Maybe you'd say, I'm stagnant in my faith, or I feel distant 
from God. And, and you might say, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I just don't act like I do all the time. Let me encourage you with this reality. The people in Jesus' resurrection story had the same struggle, at least at, at first. They struggled to believe. They were perplexed by the empty tomb. If we were to read all of Luke 24, you would see that it's not just the one story that we read. It's actually three stories in a row, three different groups of people, but who have very similar experiences. The first story is here with the women, and that's verse 1 through 12 that we just read. The second story is two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus, now a very famous part of Scripture, and they too, in verses 13 through 35, are struggling with doubts and with hopelessness. And the last part of Luke chapter 24 is the disciples of Jesus themselves, the 11, in verses 36 through 49. The Bible, again, of the, of the women, it says that they were perplexed and they were frightened. Of the men who were on the road to Emmaus, it says that they were sad and had given up hope, and that when Jesus himself was walking next to them, they didn't recognize him. And of the disciples in particular, it says that they were frightened, troubled, and doubting. But each of them, that very day, when they saw the realities of the empty tomb, they gave up their confusion, they gave up their doubts, they gave up their fears, and they trusted and they believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, and they spent the rest of their lives as witnesses to others about that reality. See, the empty tomb changed everything for them, and the empty tomb changes everything for us as well. So I'd encourage you this morning, wherever you find yourself in your walk of faith with God, you can call out to God in prayer and say, Lord, I'm perplexed by you. I'm perplexed by the reality of the resurrection. And that is a prayer that God loves to hear, followed by the words, Lord, I don't want to be confused by you any longer. I don't want to be distant from you any longer. I want to know you and I want to know you personally. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you and I want my story to be tied to your story of death and resurrection. Amen. Number two, we see in the middle of this passage, confronted, they are confronted with the truth that Jesus has risen. It is not just something that they had to confront. It is something that we must confront as well. In their story, we see it in verses four through six and also there at the end, verse 10, with Peter, that they are confronted with the truth that Jesus has risen. First, the angels say to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a valid question. They, it is a confrontational question. And the facts are, he is not here. He has risen. To his disciples in verse 38, Jesus says, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus is a miracle. It is true. It is real. It is historical. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that our preaching and our faith is a waste. If Jesus is not alive today, then everything about what we are doing is foolishness. But if Jesus is alive today, then this is the most important decision that you can make. This is the most important person that you can follow. And trusting in Jesus is the difference between life and death. 
See, we too, by faith, have to confront the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and here, even in this passage, we see a variety of realities of the truths of the gospel on display. First, we see here the truth that there were eyewitnesses. We have four different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who each give us a picture of the resurrection and their accounts are unified. Paul, again, in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 15, says, here's, here's the most important thing. Of all the things that we could talk about as Christians, of all the spiritual topics that we could bring up, Paul says, here's the most important thing, that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again three days later from the dead, period. And then as he goes on to paint a picture of that, he says, that Jesus, the risen Jesus, appeared to all of the disciples and appeared to me and to over 500 believers, many of whom, he says, at the time of his writing are still alive. More than 500 eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Peter, in one of his letters, says it this way. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Pastor Vody Bauckham writes a summary of Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 1 that I love very deeply and is a helpful way for us to think about these realities. He writes this, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. That is why he would say, by faith, I believe what the scripture says, most of all regarding the resurrection. Not only do we have the truth of eyewitnesses, but we have the truth of the women here described as the very first eyewitnesses. Um, this is not a shot against women. It was wrong then, and it would be wrong now, but it is important for you to know that in ancient cultures, the eyewitness testimony of women was considered unreliable. It was considered inadmissible. And so if you were making up a fairy tale, trying to convince people of this lie that you were manufacturing, you wouldn't choose as your witnesses those who were already considered the most unreliable. The gospel writers report the women as the first witnesses because that is what happened. And that is God's way of giving us a clue that these were not made up stories. Oh, and by the truth, by the way, the truth that the tomb was empty. Mary Magdalene and the women, and, and then later Peter and John, all saw that the tomb was empty. The soldiers saw that the tomb was empty, and the word was out. The whole city must have been in an uproar hearing that Jesus' tomb was empty. And if you are against this message and this notion, all you have to do is produce the dead body of Jesus, and the discussion is over. It's April 17th, 2022, 10.46. The tomb is still empty. Then, of course, there is the, the swoon theory by so-called experts, scientists who say, well, Jesus clearly just didn't really die. He was whipped or scourged with the cat of nine tails. He was beaten. He was crucified by the masters of crucifixion and hung dead for hours on the cross. And they then verified doubly his death by stabbing him in the side with a spear. Blood and water flowed out. 
He was then buried in a cave with no medical attention for three days, no food, no water, wrapped in over 100 pounds of spices and fabric, and then Jesus revived, rolled the stone out of the way, defeated the Roman guards on his own, and went around town playing a ghost all day. Logic. Then there, of course, is the the theory that the disciples stole his body, and, and this lie we're told about in the very scripture that those soldiers uh, had to make something of what had happened, and so this is the lie that they tell. And this lie goes this way. The disciples who ran away in terror at the very beginning of Jesus' arrest, as you recall, that these same cowardly disciples beat down professional Roman soldiers who were sworn by threat of death to guard Jesus' body, And then they steal his body out of Jerusalem, never to be found again, and the soldiers choose to die rather than to reveal this caper. Unlikely. Then finally, there's the truth of the believer's commitment. What they saw, they believed, and they witnessed to it, and they were willing to die for it. All of the disciples, multitudes of those original believers would proclaim even under torture to their dying breath, not only that Jesus rose from the dead, or or that Jesus died on the cross, which everyone saw, but that Jesus rose from the dead, not just that the tomb was empty, but that they saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, no one would die for a hoax, let alone hundreds And so we can join with those believers who are there in Luke 24. Their story becomes our story because when they were confronted with the truth that Jesus had risen from the dead, they believed. Third and finally, there's the perplexing nature of what they experience. They're then confronted with the truth that that Jesus has risen. Third and finally, they were invited to remember what Jesus said. Invited to remember, as you are this morning, invited to remember what Jesus said. We see this in their story, verses 6 through 12, but we see it in all three sections, all three stories of Luke chapter 24. In each of the three stories, they are commanded to remember the word of God. Remember what Jesus said. So the angels say to the women, remember how he told you. And they go on to quote him, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then the Bible says, and they remembered his words. Jesus says to the two men walking on the road to Emmaus, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus, speaking to these two men, walks them through the entire Old Testament and says, what you're hearing here about a Messiah who will come and suffer and die for his people, that's me. And the promises that I made about rising from the dead, here I am. Finally, Jesus says to the disciples in the third of our three stories, he says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. In Greek, he says, ego eimi, I am. The most loaded language to remind them, not only is he alive, but he is, he was, he is, he always will be God. Then listen to what he says here. Look at verses, uh, Luke chapter 24. This is verses 44 through 48. The resurrected Jesus standing in front of his 11 disciples, he says this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. See, Jesus spoke to his disciples about his death and resurrection many, many times, and they are recorded many times in all four of the Gospels. Understand, they should not have been perplexed. They should not have been confused. They should not have doubted But they, like us, inevitably struggle. We inevitably move towards sin. We inevitably hear God's word and his promises, and we tend to go, I don't know if what God said is really true. Uh, If you are searching for a truth foundation for your life, it is found in the word of God. Jesus says, or we are told in John chapter 1, that Jesus is the word made flesh, In John 14 and 15, we are told that the Holy Spirit himself says what Jesus has told him to say, the words of Jesus for you. And that's what it comes down to for us. Will we trust and obey God's word? Will we believe and live the gospel of forgiveness of sins in Christ and in Christ alone? Because here's the deal. It's not, I'm a pretty good person. I've done some good things. It's not, well, I know some stuff about God. Uh, It's not, well, I'm a pretty good student of the Bible. It's not, I followed a lot of the rules, or hey, I'm a super spiritual person. It is not about any of those things. It is about believing and trusting and following Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and then rose again three days from the dead. Literally, factually, truly, and one day coming back to take us home. Amen. It's about believing in Jesus and his word by grace alone, through faith alone. It is a gift that is offered freely that you cannot earn and that you do not deserve. And out of his love, he offers it to you. Three times in Luke chapter 24, Jesus says it was necessary for him to die and to rise. And sometimes we we read the scripture and we sort of minimize, why did Jesus have to die? Or why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? Jesus says it was necessary. Why? Because the man sitting in front of you is a sinner. Because every single one of us sitting in this room is a sinner. And because every single human being who has ever taken a breath on this earth is a sinner, not just once, Oh, and by the way, the Bible tells us clearly that even one sin is enough to separate us eternally from a holy and a righteous God. See, sin is just the bad things that we do, right? And we inevitably sort of think, well, sin's not that big of a deal. I haven't done anything that bad. I certainly haven't done anything like that guy over there. But here's the deal. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is cosmic treason. It's mutiny against the God who created you and who loves you. And we deserve the punishment for our sins, which is death and eternal separation from God. That is why it is necessary that Jesus died, because someone had to die. And not just anyone. 
It had to be a perfect someone, someone who could satisfy the righteous punishment of a holy God. See, Jesus, the Son of God, willingly did what was necessary for you and I to be saved. And this is how we can be forgiven and receive mercy and washed clean, washed white of our sins. Jesus on the cross offers the perfect exchange. He says, I will offer you this. All of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your mistakes, all of your worst days, I will take them on me and bear the consequence of them on my cross. And here's what I offer in exchange. I will give you my perfect life, my perfect record, my deserving to spend eternity in heaven face to face with the God of the universe, experiencing a place of no pain and no hurt and glory. What will it cost me, Jesus? Nothing. Because it costs me everything. It was necessary that Jesus would die and it was necessary that Jesus would rise from the dead. See, because if Jesus didn't rise, then he isn't really God, is he? If Jesus didn't rise, then he hasn't really paid the penalty for the sins of his people, has he? If Jesus didn't rise, then he hasn't conquered sin, Satan, and death, and we are still a prisoner to all of them. But Jesus is not dead. Jesus is not here, said the angel. He's risen. And at the end of the story, we're told first that the tomb is empty. We're told that he is a risen king, and at the end of Luke chapter 24, he ascends into heaven and is now this very moment seated at the right hand of God, and one day he will return to judge the quick and the dead, we are told, and that he will return to take all of his people home to heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection story solves the greatest problem of all time. To give the greatest mercy of all time, to the greatest exchange of all time, to bring the greatest reconciliation of all time by the one and only Savior King of the world. And so this story of Jesus' death and resurrection, he invites you into it. He invites you to leave behind your doubts, your fears, and the deceptions that this world offers. He invites you to embrace personally the truth that Jesus has risen from the dead. He has walked out of the grave, and he invites you to believe the word of Jesus combined with the witness of his word to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be a part of your story. I want your death and your resurrection credited to me on my behalf. Save me. I want to spend eternity with you. Let's take a moment now and let's pray to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has done for us what we could never do ourselves.